I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Every Day Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Every Day Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, the show where America is the star and the American people. Up next, a listener's story from Mark Walter about his father, whom he knew only a short time, but dedicated his life to. During this piece, you'll be hearing the music of his father, Cy Walter. Let's get into the story. I uh, was 11 years old when my father died of cancer in 1968, and he was only 52 and had had cancer for some 15 years. But I wasn't aware of that. I was a child, and uh, my mother and father made the the difficult choice not to tell we children of his illness. And he worked what were late-night nocturnal hours, and they decided that it would be better for him to live separate from us, and he moved into an apartment on 73rd Street between 2nd and 3rd. And... This was in in Manhattan on the Upper East Side, and it allowed him to sleep late because he would be working from 6 in the evening until, you know, 1 or 2 or 3 or 4 in the morning. And it also allowed him the privacy and, and ability to deal with being ill. So my relationship with my father was a very loving parent. Uh, well, as I grew older and he lived apart from us, I would visit him frequently remember very happy times doing so, uh, getting my hair cut with him, wandering through the neighborhood where everyone seemed to know him. He was very much a beloved figure in that sense, and uh, he was very kind. And I'll give you a wonderful memory about that. Um, My mother and father, Cam and Cy, had a a rule that I was not to ride my bike from 87th Street to 73rd Street. I was about eight years old at the time, and it was a rational rule because New York City traffic was dangerous, obviously. But but I, you know, was a rebellious kid. And one day did exactly that, but uh, unfortunately got a flat tire just before reaching my father's apartment. And I was sort of standing on the street, staring at my broken bike, wondering what to do, fearful of my father's reaction, you know, expecting justified and condign punishment for 
breaking his rule. And as I was befuddled there, a young black kid I'd never met came up and generously offered to help. He and, and I, my newfound friend, dragged the bike to my father's doorstep. And when my father opened the door, I introduced my new friend. And he never said a word about the bike, never brought it up, just took it inside, invited us in, and uh, explained what had happened. He turned to my, my friend and said, well, you know, I'd really like to thank you for helping Mark. And he brought us to the piano, sat us down, and proceeded to play Somewhere Over the Rainbow for us. Every once in a while, there comes along one of those infuriating melodies, which is so beautiful and yet so perfectly simple that every other tune writer is disgusted with himself for not having written it, such as Somewhere Over the Rainbow. kindness of it, but he also was very humble and, and modest, and I knew he was a pianist, and I knew that he was a respected pianist. I was not aware, however, as a child of his stature. He was an acknowledged virtuoso, and his contemporaries on so many levels revered his talent. Uh, my father was very much a star in his career spanned, well, his career spanned what was the, the halcyon days of the Great American Songbook to 1968 when he passed. He knew all the greats, and he knew all the titans and, and bold-faced names of society as well, because they were his audience. My father kept a mailing list. I mean, just a, a few of them, Tennessee Williams, Arthur Miller, Cole Porter, Leonard Bernstein, Noel Coward. Marlon Brando, Carol Channing, Judy Holliday, a very dear, dear friend of my mother's. She actually nursed, him sad, nursed her sadly through her last illness. A couple of musicians that were really family were Alec Wilder and Mabel Mercer. Uh, Mabel Mercer was an amazing chanteuse who hailed from Britain and came to America in, in 1938. And my father was the first pianist to accompany her. She was also my godmother. And around 2004, my mother pulled out a Timberland boot box that I still have that was filled with my father's published sheet music and unpublished scores that he had written. Uh, she handed this box to me and she said, about a decade ago, I had a conversation with Michael Feinstein, an amazing performer and talent who is also passionate about preserving the American popular songbook. And uh, as Cam explained to me then, she had gotten a call from Michael around, I guess, 1995 or so, asking her what she still had of Sai's artistic legacy. And when she told him that she had this sheet music, Michael said, well, you should get it into the Library of Congress because if you just keep it in your closet, nobody's benefiting from it. And 
she didn't do anything at that point. You know, other pressures of life interceded, I'm sure. And, uh, but she did pull it out in 2004 and asked me to do it. My jaw dropped because I didn't even know at that point that Cy was a, a composer. I had no idea of my father's stature. I was a rock and roll kid growing up during the 70s, and my mother really didn't proselytize the music. Uh, so I decided to take an early retirement, uh, which uh, would allow me to do that. But it all goes back to the fact that my mother, God bless her, out of love for my father and out of love for his artistry, retained everything. And you're listening to Mark Walter tell the story of his father, Cy. His father was only 52 when he died, a world-class musician, a first-rate talent. When we come back, more of Mark Walter's story, the story of his father, Cy, here on Our American Stories. This is Lee Habib, host of Our American Stories, the show where America is the star and the American people, and we do it all from the heart of the South, Oxford, Mississippi. But we truly can't do this show without you. Our shows will always be free to listen to, but they're not free to make. If you love what you hear, consider making a tax-deductible donation to Our American Stories. Go to OurAmericanStories.com. Give a little, give a lot. That's OurAmericanStories.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. 
As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with Our American Stories and Mark Walters' story about his father's side. When we last left off, Mark was telling us about how he knew that his father was a pianist, but didn't know that he was a virtuoso of the American songbook. Let's continue with the story here again is Mark Walter. Cy had a God-given talent. There's just no way around it. He was his own unique style, and there's never been anyone like him, and never since or before. He grew up in Minneapolis, and his parents were both musicians. Raymond was a talented tenor, highly respected in the Twin Cities, and uh, Flossie, as she was nicknamed, Florence, uh, Flossie was a very well-respected and very long-standing piano teacher in in Minneapolis. Cy was unquestionably her most successful student. Uh, He acknowledged that he learned everything, everything he learned about piano and knew about piano came from her, but they weren't wealthy. It was, you know, a very sort of middle-class existence, I'm sure. Well, in terms of size, learning how to play piano, I had always thought until a few years back that he took up the piano after initially learning how to play the cello, the bass, because of the uh, liner notes that he wrote to one of his albums, A Dry Martini, Please. He wrote there that he took up the piano because it had become clear to him that it was so difficult to transport the cello on the Minneapolis bus system. (laughs) I remember thinking, well, you know, it's probably harder to transport a piano, but however, and this is sort of a story that reflects the amazing journey I have had. Uh, My discovery of my father's music has altered my life in a way that is, is wonderful. I'm blessed with friends I never would have met. And a perfect example of that is a fellow named Bob Wood Jr., who had found the Cy Walter website, I guess about four or five years ago, called me up out of the blue, lives on the West Coast, to tell me that his father, Bob Wood Sr., was a dear friend of my father's. Uh, They knew each other in Minneapolis. They grew up together. Bob Wood Sr. was perhaps six years older than Cy and had his own orchestra at the time. And uh, at age 19 or so, he was an orchestra leader. He was approached by Cy, who was then about 13, wanting to join the orchestra. And Bob Wood Sr. said to Cy, "I'm, I'm sorry, Cy, I don't really need a string instrument. We've got plenty of cellist but you know your mother is a wonderful piano teacher why don't you go to to her and and ask her to teach you the piano and if if you uh, when you learn the piano you can be part of my orchestra and so I said okay deal when he was ready he came back and said I'm ready and Bob Wood senior wrote in his memoirs he was already playing like a virtuoso at that point and it was only three months he had learned how to play the piano in three months. I now understand why people marveled at his 
abilities. Clearly he had the perfect environment to do it, but he also just had an amazing God-given talent. At one point I found a list of pithy quotes by different musicians over the centuries. One of them was attributed to Art Tatum. Uh, I shared it with my mother and when she read it, she read it aloud. Art was attributed as saying to another pianist, listen, you come in here tomorrow night and anything you play with your right hand, I'll play with my left hand better. And the left hand's considered the submissive, the right hand, the dominant hand in piano playing. So that was quite a statement. And my mother, after reading that, looked up with pride in her face and said, and Art always acknowledged that Sai had a better left hand than he did. But he went from Minneapolis to New York in part because of his uh, having a sort of mentorship with an American songbook great, a fellow named Johnny Green, who composed the beautiful standard Body and Soul. Johnny Green was performing in Minneapolis. Sai wiggled his way into the performance backstage and introduced himself. And when he came to Manhattan, uh, to New York in 1934, Johnny Green took him under his wing and essentially got him a job coaching a uh, some aspiring singers initially and uh, helped him meet many of the then stars of the great American songbook firmament. People like George and Ira Gershwin, he came to know Vernon Duke, uh, he came to know Richard Rogers, and as he started playing in different venues, people got to know him. Uh, Fred Astaire and he had been friends and when Astaire decided to basically sort of retire from the film industry and uh, in 1947, he decided to open up his own dance studio. To do that, he created a swing trot dance that he called the Astaire, that he purposely designed to be accessible to a new dancing student. And uh, he turned aside to create a song to celebrate and publicized the dance and his launch of his new dance studios. And Sai composed what was also called the Astaire. The Drake Room, he didn't own it in a literal sense. It was part of the Hotel Drake, which was torn down, oh, I guess about a decade ago now by a developer that built this monstrosity, 432 Park Avenue, one of the billionaire skyscrapers. But the Drake Hotel was one of the apartment hotels that was built during the early 20th century. And it was an extraordinarily elegant, classy place that catered to its guests in a way that was truly special. And I'll give you an example of that. Famous pianist, Arthur Rubinstein, uh, lived there. And he wanted his own personal grand piano, logically, in his apartment. And as it turned out, it was too large to fit in the Drake Hotel's elevator. The freight elevator just wouldn't accommodate it. And in a classic example of, you know, going the extra mile. <laughs> Stanley Turkle and his talented staff arranged for the city to close down Park Avenue and for Crane to lift Arthur Rubinstein's piano up through the window of the 20th story or something, wherever it was. It was that kind of elegant hotel. The Drake Room was opened in 1945 by Walter Riddell, who was a man about town and owned the, the hotel at that time and he immediately uh, hired, it was opened essentially for Sai, uh, because Sai had, and, and he were friends and Sai was then and remained the highest paid pianist, popular pianist in New York 
because he was so beloved by his audiences, by others. He was famed for his memory. Somebody could come into the Drake Room that hadn't been there in years. A patron that had made a request in past years for Cy to play a particular song. And when that patron came back in, maybe five years later, Cy would re immediately recognize the person and remember that song and start playing it. He was a marvelous entertainer. I told you the catalyzing event, and uh, that, that afternoon when I was visiting my mother out in Long Island, uh, where she lived, and she pulled out my father's sheet music and told me about her conversation with Michael. Uh, at that time, I really did not know much about this, the Great American Songbook or the, the musical genre uh, that it encompasses. I, uh, you know, if you had talked to me about Cole Porter or George Gershwin or um, Richard Rogers, or I would have looked at you largely blankly. Uh, so it was, for me, a, a, an enlightenment. That, again, is a gift from my parents. As I went through all these materials and I read the articles about my father, I came to realize that you know, he really was at the heart of an, a musical uh, era that was very, very special. And a special thanks to Mark Walter for sharing his story of his father, who was the preeminent piano accompanist and piano player in New York City at a time when New York City was the center of everything in American music. And also what a love story of a son pursuing the story of his father all the way down. The story of Cy Walter is told by his son Mark here on Our American Stories. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Every Day Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Every Day Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.